Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the world's next cue card. Cricket show, the world's favourite next cue card. Cricket show, marching on defiantly into 2015, despite astronomical popular demand. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host tonight. And with me in the studio this week is an enthusiastic young man by the name of Tony Kerr. Evening. How's it going this week, Tony? Yeah, it's all right, Tony. Cheers. Did you survive Blue Monday, Tony? That's a load of nonsense, isn't it? You're going to tell me it isn't. Well, you know, this is the thing that happens every year, isn't it? This uh, we, <laughs> our, our World Cricket Show Blue Monday special. You know, I thought we were different from all other media. <laughs> uh, but no, it turns out we do the same old stories year in, year out. Blue Monday. <laughs> nothing else to talk about. I like the idea that we cover stories <laughs> in this intro section. No, I mean, it's this thing, isn't it? It's supposed to be the most miserable day of the year. It's what harsh, is it? isn't what it? Was it the second, third Monday in January? Second Monday in January? Anyway, this point in January where the Monday is supposed to be the worst day of the year. No, it's just one of these things, isn't it, that someone's at some point has said and now is just getting perpetuated in the media and by us when it's, there's no basis in reality, fact or evidence. we got uh, Blue Monday now, Black Friday. What's going to be next? Green Tuesday? <laughs> Purple Thursday? Well, what next, Tony? So I've had a go at this before, you know, it was just a day for everything. And that soon there won't be any days that don't have an occasion attached to them. There's no normal days left, which saddens me. You know, what's wrong with the normal day? Just, you know, Monday. Well, we got uh, Christmas Day, Easter. <laughs> Where's this Sunday? voice come from? You've been working on this act. I don't know. <laughs> just been workshopping that for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, well, it's everyone like at work voice. thought it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but... You know. It's got a new new character that you do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, Tony. It's just, just my regular voice. It's weird. So, so the other voice is the character. Uh, no, my Blue Monday was pretty blue, to be honest. The, uh, the January blues are colliding with the post-holiday blues, yeah. and the results aren't pretty, I'll Perfect tell you that story. Well, actually, now that reminds me of what, because on Blue Monday, it was really sunny, it was a really nice day, uh, and I was going to post an ironic social media status saying huh, blue monday with the sea and the sky and it was all the basic photo was all blue blue monday oh look at look out the window well, it's all blue but then i was like nah I, a i don't want to perpetuate this nonsense and b <laughs> you know i just don't want to be seen you don't want to be that just, guy i don't want to be that guy yeah yeah well actually monday wasn't that bad but just in general this week has been a bit depressing uh, oh, great. <laughs> no, no. welcome to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I saw someone uh, someone at work today just uh, took one look at me and said, are you all right? You look awful. And I was like, well, yeah, I think I feel okay. And they said, yeah, you just it looks like a vampire's b- bitten you and just all the blood's been drained away. <laughs> I was like, oh. But then this is the same, this is the same person. She, she does say 
weird stuff sometimes she did once say to me you remind me a lot of my husband actually except uh, he's quite slim <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah because you're massive aren't you? <laughs> when you're big but you're yeah, not i'm yeah. only sort of 19 20 stone yeah you're not yeah you're not huge she's also the same person who was finishing work at 1 p.m on a friday she was walking out the door and i said oh have a nice weekend and she said it'll be monday morning before we know it blue friday for her every week uh well what's coming up on the show today tane is my question to you uh, and the answer is we've got an interview we've got an actual interview coming up on the world cricket show uh with the authors of a brand new book the second 11 so that's very exciting very familiar with that played a lot of cricket for the second 11 at school yeah never quite good enough to make the uh for why well well, it's a long story and I won't go into it now, but yeah. A captain of the second eleven anyway. So you were captain great. of the second eleven, too. Yeah. I was in the second eleven. Well, I've told the story. We've told it a few times. You know, times. I've picked out for my leadership qualities at an early age. <laughs> uh, kind of groomed. I was, I was groomed as second eleven captain from about, you know, 12, 13, second, like year one or two, really. They took one look at you. They thought this guy... Stumbling to the crease. This guy is the man to lead. This guy is second 11 material. This guy is the man to lead the inevitable bunch of misfits that will be (laughs) left playing cricket by the time they're doing A-levels, but haven't quite made it to the first team. Yeah, Yeah, they they took a look at all the misfits and they said, out of all these misfits, (laughs) this guy's probably in the best shape to lead he's he's yeah. the most misfitting well he's the, the most he's the most he's the everyman the kind of you know <laughs> you know the guy to just unite the unite the outsiders well i don't think that this book is actually <laughs> about second 11 no. cricket i mean who knows we'll find out in this interview it's about cricket all around the world isn't it so that's quite exciting we'll also me and tony will be catching up on everything that's been happening uh, around the cricketing world did you hear about this ab de villiers i heard about it yeah what is it I don't know. We're going we're gonna to try and get to the yeah. bottom of it on tonight's show. World Cup watch. Did, did that bring <laughs> enough drama to the, to the proceedings, would you say? Quite a lot. World Cup watch. <laughs> right. This is the item World Cup watch, uh, where we track the fortunes of all the teams ahead of the World Cup. Yeah, I wouldn't say definitively. Yeah, we track the fortunes of some of the teams. Yeah. Some of the time. Now, Tone, if you have a look at that comically large digital countdown clock just behind my head, uh, you will see that the World Cup is only 23 days away. It says 22. 22 days away. We shouldn't have put the clock behind my head, really. It should have been behind your head because then I could say yeah. the numbers. Uh, it starts on Valentine's Day. Perfect. Now, I haven't yet told my girlfriend that we will be spending the evening watching highlights of England getting hammered by Australia, but I can't wait for that. Uh, Can't wait for the World Cup zone. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, And all over the world, teams have been gearing up for the tournament by playing one-day series against each other. Uh, Now, let's start in South Africa, where the home side have just wrapped up a series victory over the West Indies. They've taken an unassailable 3-0 lead after a, a very comfortable win in East London the other day, but there's only one story in town, quite frankly, and that is uh, the astonishing batting display in the second ODI in Johannesburg from one A.B. de Villiers. I'll give you the headline, fastest one-day international century of all time. South Africa racked up 439 for two, three centurions in a one-day innings for the first time in history. Hashim Amla made 153 not out from 142 balls, Riley Russo made 128 from 115 balls. De Villiers came in and scored 149 from 44 
balls. He reached his 100 in just 31 deliveries, uh, which took five balls off the previous record that was set by Corey Anderson last year, of course. He also hit 16 sixes, tying the record for most sixes in innings. And it was a partnership of 192 from 67 balls with Amler at the end there at a run rate of more than 17 and over. So this was a half-decent innings tone, wasn't Fell it? Fell just short of the world record, though, didn't they, the, uh, the total? Yeah, what were they, four, four away from the world so record? Uh, they kind of threw it away at the end, actually. They they only... The last three or four balls were dot balls? Yeah, I think they, they scored, was it, four off the last over or something like that, and de Villiers was out with two deliveries left, so he did kind of squander a good start there. Yeah. No, it was one of those. It was one of those innings that you know. I was, you know, at GMT. Uh, it was Sunday morning, wasn't it? I was nursing a hangover in bed, kind of you know, rolled across. I find that hard to believe, too. <laughs> rolled across, kind of checked Twitter, you know, as you do, uh, and you kind of got a sniff of what was what was happening. <laughs> you know, hey, David Villiers is on one forty-eight, not out. Uh, so I rushed. <laughs> I rushed to the TV uh, to put it on. Uh, no, I did, I did watch most of it. Actually, I got in. I got in pretty early. Got, got, got wind of what was happening, but yeah, it was just, I mean, what can you say? It was it was astonishing. The amount I you're want... a real news hound, Tony. You <laughs> cut your nose to the ground, yeah, looking for the stories. Stavinius is on one forty eight, not out. And you thought <laughs> there could be a story here. Something's happening. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, you know, that was the place I wanted to be so badly. Then you know, I was really, I had a really quite heavy head. Uh, it was chucking it down with the rain outside, I seem to remember. Grey. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the guys down in uh, Joeberg. <laughs> Blue Sunday. The guys down in Joeberg were just having the best time. The videos was blasting off. The crowd were going mental. It was sunny. The beers were flowing. There was something about the fact South Africa were playing in pink as well. Yeah, yeah like the whole thing was like... Yeah. It did look like a pretty extraordinary day. He's a freak, isn't he? Uh, he's almost... He's like cricket... And arguably sports Chuck Norris, isn't he? Because I don't know. You know all these things that go around, you know, circulated every few weeks about how like Davidis holds like ten shot put records and like, you know, every basically every sport he's excelled at some stage. Yeah, he's like the hockey juvenile. captain South Africa juniors and he's got yeah. the South Africa junior hundred meter for record. Yeah. I don't know if any of this is true or not. Yeah. So that's why I call him the Chuck Norris, because yeah, you know, it's like Amy Davidis facts. But some of some of the what he was doing out there, you know, we we've seen it before, but this is just you know, on another level. Yeah, because it wasn't really a fluky innings, was it? I mean, there weren't too many shots that you thought that was almost out. Like, it wasn't like he was top-edging anything. He was just playing fantastic cricket, clean strikes out the middle of the bat. And at, at a certain point, it was like, you just expected every ball to go for four or six. And it did. Yeah, the ones that were just, yeah, some of the amazing ones where, yeah, he, he gets, yeah, gets outside off stump so early and low as well. Like, basically gets... Kind of into a, a you know, squat position and then just launches it. It's almost like yeah, it's like a pull shot for, you know on a, on a decent length, isn't it? Yeah, it's great to watch. And I, I, maybe that West Indies attack isn't the best that's ever taken to the field in a one-day game, uh, but it's also not the worst. Uh, and he was, you know, taking some decent bowlers to the cleaners and back again. It was extraordinary. I mean, there are a couple of caveats. The main one being that it is Johannesburg, where we have seen some extraordinary batting performances before I mean obviously there was that ODI in 2006 where Australia made what 430 or whatever and South Africa chased it down just last week West Indies broke the world record for a 2020 chase in another very high scoring game uh, and the reasons for that are firstly that it's not a huge ground but uh, but primarily that um, the altitude uh, means that the ball 
does sail away quicker than it would at sea level. So it does it does kind of lend itself to these incredible performances. Uh, and the other thing, you know, in the in the aftermath, we've seen uh, a few people say, "Oh, it's just big bats, isn't it?" He's got a big bat. <laughs> like you'll notice, this will probably happen a lot of the World Cup that commentators who are kind of fairly recent ex-players, Nasser Hussain being an obvious example, are very keen to point out at every opportunity that players these days have got much bigger bats than they've got. Do you remember at the World 2020 last year? Marlon Samuels blasting a six and someone saying, he's a big lad, isn't he? And saying, he's a big lad with a big bat. <laughs> he's got a big bat, really big bat. Uh, yeah, they have got big bats. But that being said, it's not like this kind of thing happens every day of the week uh, in cricket matches where they have got big bats. It's not like it happens every day of the week, even in Johannesburg at altitude. You know, De Villiers didn't just break the world record, he detonated it by five balls, which is the equivalent of taking about a second and a half of the 100-metre record. They're not exactly the same thing, are they? But, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a big chunk out of the record that he's taken. So you just can't really produce enough superlatives. Yeah, I mean, it, what, did he, what he walked out midway into the 39th over and ended on 149 he didn't even bat out the innings like didn't see the overs out unbelievable <laughs> uh yeah and whilst you know, really the other end Amla kind of went at a pedestrian rate 153 from 142 I mean Amla batted through the innings and he got quite a lot less than half of those runs despite scoring at more than a run a ball yeah what, whichever way you slice it this was astonishing uh, Bob Willis said afterwards that He'd always considered Viv Richards to be the best batsman of all time, but that he's now starting to reassess, beginning to think maybe it's De Villiers. I mean, that's almost <laughs> that's so that's definitely terrifying. That's definitely hyperbole. Obviously, in the kind of breathless moments after that innings finish. I mean, Bob Willis isn't usually he's not usually that given to hyperbole, but in a positive <laughs> way. Uh, but you know, that is what he said. So clearly, that's hyperbole. But would it be fair to say that perhaps, in some respects, De Villiers doesn't get quite enough credit at least on this show i mean we we generally talk about the potential greats the potential great batsmen of this era as being amla clark sangakara maybe cook but you know you look at the villiers in all formats he averages 52 in tests he averages 51 in odis he's a great batsman to watch and he's a wicket keeper and when he's not keeping wicket he's arguably the best fielder in the world and he's chuck norris <laughs> i mean he's got to be up there hasn't he yeah, you, you, yeah, you're right. We haven't probably given, we don't talk about him enough. At his age, you know, this is now he's entering the time when you know, the next two, three, four, five years, you know, when he can actually go and kind of, you know, you know, go and do the push the boundaries of terms of kind of run scoring and all that business. Well, yeah, I mean, he's he's only thirty, isn't he? And um, he's been around for what ten, eleven years. I think he's made his debut in two thousand and four. But yeah, still only thirty, so. You know, he could be around for a lot longer because, you know, it doesn't look as though his body is going to let him down at any point. He's not in the kind of Michael Clark mould. So, yeah, I, I do feel that perhaps we haven't talked about him quite enough. You almost kind of take him for granted in some respects. Um, but anyone who can produce an innings like that and at the same time average above 50 in Test cricket and be a wicketkeeper, he's captain of this team as well. You know, he's he's a remarkable player, largely down to him and Hashim Amla and, and Dale Stain. You've got to say that South Africa have got a really good chance of the World Cup, even though I think as a unit, this team isn't the strongest it's ever been. I'd argue their side four years ago was quite a bit better and they got knocked out in the quarterfinals. But even if just Amla, de Villiers and Stain out of the whole squad have good World Cups, they're going to be in the mix, aren't they? They're going to be in and around that trophy. Yeah, and I think it's a massive boon for this World Cup as well to have this happen 
just a couple of weeks before because it's injected a bit of life into ODI's. There's no doubt all eyes are going to be on him come their first match. Well, you, you, you know, he's now, well, I mean, he, I say now, he, he, he always has been the, the player that you think if you get De Villiers out early, you've got a much better chance of beating South Africa. But at the moment, out of anyone in the world, you usually go into a tournament, there is somebody, and it has been Gale or it has been Savag, who you think, you know, they are the player to watch at this tournament. They've got all the form coming in. And De Villiers is clearly going to be the one that, you know, he's the bar clearer coming into this tournament, isn't he? He's the yeah. one that... Everyone wants to watch when De Villiers is at the crease. I mean, you're not not going to have him in your fantasy team, are you? <laughs> exactly. Come February, the whatever it is. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of which, we will have a World Cricket Show Fantasy Mini League. Uh, I'll try and set that up this week. So um, if listeners want to start thinking about their selections, obviously you'll have unlimited transfers up until Valentine's Day. So Keep an eye out anyway. Keep an eye out. Keep your eyes glued to social media. Um, right, let's jet across, Tone, to Australia, where we've very much got a tri-series on our hands. We're three games into it. Australia demolished England in the first game and then demolished India in the second game. And then England demolished India in the third game, uh, which I don't think anybody saw coming. Uh, that third match was in Brisbane. England skittled India for just 153, with James Anderson taking four for 18. And Steve Finn taking five for 33. They knocked off the runs uh, with more than 20 overs to spare and nine wickets in hand. James Taylor, 56, not out. Ian Bell, 88, not out. Now, when Australia strolled to victory in that opening game, uh, I was very concerned. I had, I had big, big concerns about England's one-day team. But now, you know, it's all rosy, isn't it? It's all gonna, England are going to win the World Cup. Well, now Andy Flintoff saying that England on the verge of something special. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess define verge. I mean, Bell's probably the greatest batsman of all time, I would say, yeah, at this point. Right. Yeah, there were, there were concerns, weren't there? Because Bell went into, you know, he scored that uh, big knock in the warm-ups and then got a diamond duck in the first uh, first ODI. Uh, good to see Morgan back in the runs and then, you know, kind got of batting against with a Australia, bit of, didn't he? Yeah, batting with a bit of freedom, which is good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the way things went against India... Certainly, yeah, we're flip-flopping around more than... <laughs> more than a, a teenager on summer holiday. Gap year, yeah. Exactly. Teenager on a gap year, that's better. I'll tell yeah. you what, we'll, we'll send it to our writers and we'll come yeah, back next week. Yeah, come back something better. Well, I, uh, I saw my brother-in-law at the weekend. We always talk about cricket. We were just basically saying, yeah, you know, you've got to worry about this team. I mean, Bell's rubbish. Finn's useless now. Anderson's never been a one-day player. Uh, and then the next day, <laughs> Bell, Finn, Anderson, all fantastic. I just sent him a text saying, you know, I've always rated Finn. <laughs> Anderson's always been a great one-day player. I mean, you don't want to get carried away with one performance, uh, but that was by far the best performance for at least a year. And you do look at that side now, and suddenly it does have a pretty good balance about it. I mean, whether or not they will actually translate that into that type of form in the World Cup, who knows? But if you were, you know, if you're just constructing a team... It's got a good balance about it. You know, they, they bat reasonably deep. They've got a couple of all-rounders in the top order in Moen Ali and Ravi Bapara and potentially Joe Root as well. They've got some power hitting in the middle order. Uh, and they've got a top three that has now got quite a good shape about it, at least on paper. You know, you've got uh, Moen Ali who'll come out and, and go for it from the off and then James Taylor will tick along. And then Ian Bell, who has never quite convinced as a one-day player and he's had a lot of opportunities but is someone who ought to be pretty good at one-day cricket because he has got all the shots. And unlike Alistair Cook, you know, it was very easy to say, oh, Bell and Cook at the top of the order. 
neither of them really good enough. But actually, Bell and Cook aren't quite the same player. Like, Bell is capable of, you know, he's not, he's not going to go out and play an A.B. de Villiers type innings, but he is capable of scoring at more than a run of ball in one-day cricket. So maybe this is one final chance for him to make an impact in, in ODIs. Yeah, I think, you know, we'd all be pretty keen to see it as well. Uh, yeah, like you say, there was, there was a lot more pressure on him when he was with Cook. You know, it was, it was almost kind of, it's like when you've got two kids and one of them does something wrong and then just points at the other one. That was kind <laughs> of like, that was essentially what Cook was doing to Bell for their their partnership, wasn't he? So that's, yeah, it's a bit more bit more room for Bell to breathe. Yeah, I, th- I think it looks good. I mean, what I really like about, you know, we said we won't get excited about the World Cup ages ago. Now I think we're starting to, I'm starting to get a little bit excited. About England at the World Cup? N- wh- about watching England at the World Cup, not necessarily about their chances. Okay. Just because, you know, unlike a kind of 2020 thing, where if it goes wrong, it goes, you know, if it was really wrong, it's bad, but it's over pretty quickly there will be that genuine kind of nervous excitement at the start because you know, it, it can go really wrong in an ODI very, you know, very quickly, but also last quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, so there is that genuine, you know, that genuine desire to see, see them do well. Like I said, I don't want to get carried away with it. And I wouldn't be stunned if England go through the World Cup and produce some pretty miserable performances. Uh, you know, what happened to them against Australia? Yes, Australia are a very good one-day team at the moment, but they were massively outclassed in that game. But I also wouldn't be that surprised if they do play some good cricket now. Just the simple change of getting rid of Cook has changed an awful lot about that team. Um, it's just got a much fresher look about it. It feels like a rejuvenated team, despite only making really one change to the personnel. I guess they've got Anderson and Broad back as well. So, you know, they might be a bit erratic. But like you say, I'm just a bit more excited about watching them than I was a month ago. There's been a lot of talk about sledging this week, Tone. Dave Warner has found himself in hot water again uh, after a confrontation with Rohit Sharma in that ODI at the MCG. Uh, they squared up to each other and Sharma started saying something in Hindi and Warner said, speak English. Now, he's been fined over the incident and it's prompted quite a lot of discussion. Uh, it's not the first time he's got himself into trouble, is it? Uh, well, no, is the answer to that. Someone wrote or commented or, or there was a comment saying, you know, that these kind of things look much worse from beyond the boundary. Out there, you know, it's probably... Just a bit of a spiky moment, you know, where things are said, but it's, it doesn't translate very well to the stands, does it? Uh, it does look, it's a bit ugly. Yeah, I think, you know, this incident in isolation, you know, wasn't really that remarkable. I think it's just that there's a lot of uh, focus on sledging at the moment. There's been a lot of it going on recently. And also Warner doesn't help himself because, you know, he came out pretty recently and called for an end to sledging and sort of seemed to be, uh, he was talking about himself as well, but he was also being... Uh, reasonably kind of uh, critical of other players for their behaviour. And you sort of think, well, you know, the, the number of times that he says, I've learned my lesson and, uh, you know, it won't happen again. And then it happens again in the next match and something equally bad or worse. Clearly, he's a hot-tempered in- individual and you can't necessarily blame him for that. But at some point, he's got to learn. There's a big question about what the point of finding the players is because, yeah, he got fined find 50% of his match fee. That's basically nothing. Uh, certainly to someone like Warner, who you know is going to be making a lot of money from, through other means anyway. Finding fifty percent of the match fee is—it's not even a token gesture, really. And when captains get banned for slow over rates, you know if the ICC genuinely think that sledging is a problem, why is the punishment for slow over rates so much more severe than it is for sledging? I mean, if if they actually want to do something about it, they should do something about it. I mean, it has, in general. Sledging has been in the spotlight recently 
Um, Jonathan Agnew made some comments in an interview in the Radio Times. Uh, Does anybody read the Radio Times? <laughs> well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't really I'm, know. It's <laughs> where I usually go to get my... Kind of... I, don't, I don't know if anyone reads the Radio Times other than journalists whose job it is to read every publication and Scanning sniff, for, sniff around yeah. for stories. There must be journalists whose job it is just to read Twitter now as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, which is a bit depressing. But um, yeah, in this interview with the Radio Times, uh, Agnew said that following Philip Hughes's death, he expected sledging to not happen in the series between Australia and India. And obviously that wasn't the case. There was quite a lot of sledging in that series. And Agnew said he was upset by that. He says that, quote, at the funeral, Clark said very clearly that Hughes's memory would run through the team and would be in the way they play their cricket. Well, I haven't seen any evidence of that. Uh, so this interview angered quite a lot of people in Australia when it was picked up by those 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 news hounds. And the Radio Times hit desks, <laughs> hit tables and coffee tables. Uh because a lot of people saw it as Agnew kind of hijacking what happened to Hughes uh, to make a point about one of his own personal bugbears. Would you go along with that? Is that a little bit unkind to Agnew? Or is, is that how you would see that? Uh, is it hijacking? Too soon? Is it too soon to kind of... Is it harsh? Well, that's, that's my only thing, yeah. I mean, in some respects, I think Agnew is right in that it's surprising that that series was so hot-tempered given what had happened. I mean, in one sense, you can see why feelings were running high in general, but also, yeah, you'd think, you know, we said afterwards that maybe what happened to Hughes would put cricket in perspective a little bit, and so you might have then thought that the players would be a bit nicer to each other on the field. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, firstly, Clark didn't actually talk about sledging. You know, if, if Agnew's sort of saying, oh, well, Michael Clark went back on his word... Um, I mean, firstly, Clark missed three out of four tests, but also Clark saying Hughes's memory will run through the team and will play. It will be in the way we play our cricket. You know that that's not necessarily talking about sledging. You might be saying, you know, we'll play in a very professional manner. You might have even been meaning we'll play in a very kind of, uh, you know, we'll play hard and and, and that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not sure Agnew's right to to um, make that direct link, but also what happened to Phil Hughes had nothing to do with sledging whatsoever and like I say while I can see why you might think that the players would be nicer to each other I do think it's not really right to sort of use what happened to Phil Hughes as a means of advancing a, something that yeah. you're interested in and Fragney like he's gone on about sledging for ages and, and kind of accusing you know accusing the Australian team and you know Phil Hughes's friends and former colleagues yeah of basically kind of trashing his memory exactly in a sense. yeah i mean just because it's the thing that you agony you care about most doesn't mean that it's got anything to do with this and yeah well i can see where he's coming from to a certain extent i i do think that that was a bit uh, a little bit out of out of uh out of line we'll see what happens at the world cup it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the ashes this year in terms of the amount of sledging because yeah i mean i i do think I mean, he's right to a large extent in that i think the sledging has gone too far recently, particularly with this Australian team. And, you know, we talked about it during the Ashes Down Under last year, that it did get quite unpleasant at times. So I don't think he's wrong to want to control that a little bit. It's just maybe not the right way to do it. And I do understand why people in Australia got upset about that. Yeah. Uh, but, you, you mean, you hear a lot of people saying that, you know, sledge, you know it now there's a million cameras and a million microphones and all this stuff, you know, everything's chewed over far more than it was. And you, you'll hear a lot of ex-pros saying, you know, it's, you know it, was, it was pretty bad back in the day. It can also be hilarious. Uh, exactly. 
that you know it's pretty tough on the, you know the Aussie this Aussie team is like constantly held up against the great Aussie sides who were like famous for for their sledging and their their tough you know their mental disintegration exactly their exactly, their their tough attitudes uh, so it's a bit harsh to go like oh yeah you know you've got to be as good as these guys were but you, you're not allowed to do the stuff that they did and without sledging tone there'd be no bowl on a piano see if he can play that any of this gold <laughs> yeah sledging is the most yeah fielding is you know when you're not, when the ball doesn't come to you yeah you've got to sledge you've got to chat and stuff that's actually where I initially workshopped uh, my my voice <laughs> yeah yeah bowl, bowl on the piano and see if he can uh, play that that was very annoying. <laughs> he just shouted it from deep square leg. Tickle those timbers. Just put you as far away from the, <laughs> from, from the wicket as possible. Just get you right on the rope. Preferably downwind as well, so the voice carries away. It's swinging like a rusty gate here, lads. So tonight on the World Cricket Show, we've got a couple of guests uh, talking about a new book, which is out now. Uh, it's called Second Eleven Cricket in Its Outposts, and it's written by Peter Miller and Tim Wigmore, among others. And those two guys are with us now. I've not read it yet. It's on its way from Amazon. Much appreciated. Thank we you. We probably could have sorted out a review copy for you, to be honest, if you told us. No, <laughs> no, don't worry. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Adam have just, uh, before Christmas, we put our, a book of our own, a very, very much more locally based Guernsey Beach Guide. So uh, okay. I'm happy to, yeah, to to spread the love. We can get you guys a review copy of that <laughs> as well if you're, um, <laughs> if you're interested. Yeah, not in Guernsey, certainly. Is, that... <laughs> is, is there any good beaches for dog walking in Guernsey? Absolutely. I should come then, shouldn't I? I'll bring my, I'll bring my five dogs with me and we'll... Uh... Yeah, I don't know if there's any beaches where you're allowed five dogs. That's, that's <laughs> over cool. Yeah, they've got a limit of four, I'm afraid. But... Is there? Oh, I won't, I won't bother then. Yeah. Screw Guernsey. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you have to come over. We've got you know, Guernsey's uh, you know proper associate cricket cricket team, an, an actual no, associate cricket team, an actual associate that's... nation. Yeah, well, are we in um, Division Five at the moment? Uh, Division Six now. Division six. Yeah, we had we tanked in the last one. Where are, where are Jersey? So Jersey of now in four, I believe. Oh man, that's not good. Yeah, we went... something about that. So in the last Division Five, we went. Yeah, we went our separate ways. So we're now down um, with, uh, with there's, a, there's Division 6 this year with uh, Vanuatu, Cayman, uh, Saudi. <laughs> <laughs> I love cricket. It's, like, it's just like, there's genuine, like, what I love about the World Cricket League is that you'll have Vanuatu and then Saudi Arabia just together. Yeah. Like, for no particular reason. It's just the, the craziest thing in all the world. I've been watching the results from Div 2 and it's like, yeah, well, we've got together, you know, Canada, Namibia. <laughs> there's, no right, there's no rhyme or reason is there doesn't make think? sense what's quite funny is yeah you, you know you've done, you, this is your associate cricket but we're this is the real kind of cricket league down in six you know not the uh, proper cricket the prawn sandwich you know? brigade of uh yeah of division two <laughs> next time i'm there having eating a branded cupcake at an odi <laughs> in the press box i'll be thinking to myself i wish i was down watching world cricket league six <laughs> that's where the, that's where the real Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> this is the real stuff. So, yeah, just, I mean, we'll, we'll get on with the real chat. We're going to be like, just tell us, because from what I understand, uh, there's a kind of chapter about, or a section about each of, kind of 10 of the kind of top associations. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty much spot on. Uh, and well, the, a forward from Gideon Hay as well. What we decided to do, the way it started off, Tim approached me with the idea for the book about a year ago. So I was, maybe a year and a half, actually. I can't remember how long ago it was. It was a long time ago. And we were like, you know, the associate cricket's great and there's so many cool stories. And we really wanted to tell some associate cricket stories. And books in the past have kind of just been a list of achievements rather than actually telling the interesting stories of associate cricketers. So the way we came up with the chapters was that we were writing about the ones that we thought were interesting to start off with. So the first chapter I wrote was on the USA, which obviously from a cricket point of view is they're an absolute basket case and a rubbish. So they're not necessarily, you know, one of the top associate sides. Um, but then we just kind of tried to think, we tried to come up with some, we came up with three sections Oh, four, actually, wasn't four, it? Four, mate. Four, yeah, trying to remember, <laughs> trying to remember the, the contents page of the book. So we came up with the four World Cup qualifiers, who were obviously Scotland, UAE, Afghanistan, and Ireland. And then we were like, well, what about the sides that were up there but aren't anymore? So we did a chapter each on Kenya and the Netherlands. And then we were interested in kind of the up-and-comers. So we had, obviously, there we go up in Nepal, because Nepal are really moving. It looks like they're going to be in World Cricket League Div 1 after the games tomorrow. And the, and the other one we wanted to do was Papua New Guinea. So Papua New Guinea was interesting because we approached Gideon um, and said, Gideon, you wrote that brilliant piece on Papua New Guinea. Can you point us in the direction of people who can help us out with the story? And Gideon being the absolute legend that he is, just went, well, why don't you just use my chapter? And we were like, all right, then. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. So he gave us the Papua New Guinea chapter, which was really, really kind of him. And then... I tapped him up for the foreword as well. And then we were kind of interested in the ones that people always, the money men always talk about. So I did the USA chapter and we kind of called it, you know, what do we, cricket's golden ticket. And then there's question an amazing, question mark. <laughs> and, and then there's an amazing chapter by Sahil Dutta on China, who wrote a piece for the cricketer on the subject, which we came across. So we approached them and asked them to write it. And it really is, it's, I think it's probably my favorite chapter in the book, the China one, it's really well done. So yeah, so that's well, that's that's the book, really. So yeah, it's a real journey, a lot, yeah, a lot of different places. Uh, I mean, one of the things that yeah you, you come across or hear about a lot of the time, I don't know if that's so much the case, maybe for for some of those, but for others, you know, it's just finding kind of reliable information and and data and kind of following the progress of things. I mean, did you have a struggle with that? Yeah, no, I think certainly. I mean, with Kenya, for example, which is one of one of my chapters. Um, I mean, they've been very successful in the past. They got to the of the World Cup two thousand and three, but information on the more recent years is so unreliable and there's all this everyone said everyone else is corrupt but no one ever says they're corrupt for example so you have a, a kind of a situation where and there's no sort of source that you think is definitive so we have obviously this country with wisdom we kind of have a, a bible that we these country with kenya for example they don't really really have that so in terms of, of so example when they had like domestic tournaments different people would give different dates on when it starts to when it finished. And 
and there's no real sort of source that you, you know is 100 percent so you have to sort of kind of ask a number of people then then you kind of get to the answer answer in the end um and in terms of finding out the contact details it was, it was quite difficult I tried to do it through various journalists and then through the board it was difficult and then i got steve ticklow's address um from someone else talked to him and then i got him to give me about 15 contact numbers for everyone else which is quite embarrassing because he's a coach i mean Go to go to Andy Flower or Peter Moore's and they can have 15, 15 numbers of all, you know, of all the England team, and they'll be like, they'll be pretty pretty peeved that you wasting their time. But actually, he was incredibly generous with his time, so I've just I've sort of said thanks to him about fifteen times because I feel fairly embarrassed that he's had to sort of come up with all, with all these sort of names and with all the uh, email addresses and phone numbers for, for for these all these players. But there's no really there's no other way. Um, another thing that you kind of find is that you you send an email to sort of their cricket ball sometimes, and you get a reply from the chairman or whatever, so from a very sort of senior person. And yeah, because the, these boards are often run in such an yeah in such an amateur way, basically. With Jackie Gemma Hammond, who's the chairperson of Kenya Cricket, she's she's a full-time lawyer and is and and runs cricket kind of on on the side, which just kind of gives an idea of sort of the challenges that these sort of countries face. I had a slightly different experience along the way. I had them um, trying to track down Sultan Zarawani, who captained the UAE cricket team in 1996. Was a mission. That was prop. That took me. I think I was. Work- I was trying. I started talking about it in July, and I think I spoke to him about two weeks before the deadline for the book, which was October. So that was that was hard. But um, a lot of the time, you do. You email like I emailed the Dutch cricket board and said, "Hi guys, I'm writing a chapter about Dutch cricket. Would you call me or can I speak to you?" And I had the now just recently gone CEO, Richard Cox, reply to me and be like, yeah, sure, cool. So he put me in touch with Peter Boren. He put me in touch with Peter Seiler. He put me in touch with Roland Lefebvre. It was just like, yeah, no, of course, no worries. Not a, t- not a problem at all. And it was a similar situation with the UAE board. Getting past the switchboard at the, at the Emirates cricket board was hard work. And Bryce probably spent about £4.50 calling and just being told, no, you can't talk to him, and then being hung up on. But once I actually got through to speak to David East, who's the CEO, it was, you know, he couldn't have been more helpful, put me in touch with loads of different people. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think a lot of the time what you find when you speak to guys that are associate cricketers, they're quite happy to tell you their story because not, not many people actually ask. A lot of these names that they yeah, coming out with, like uh, Roland Lefebvre and Steve Tickley, you know, I'd be a bit starstruck talking to some of those. <laughs> like they're real kind of uh, big names from my childhood there. I was more excited speaking of Roland Lefebvre than I was when I interviewed Kevin Peterson. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, like I mean, they're, but they're genuinely nice guys. I mean, uh, like Roland Lefebvre was great. I mean, I, I was trying to track him down and get hold of him for a while, not because he was being difficult, but just because he's a busy man. But I ended up speaking to him in the middle of a boozy lunch he was having in the French countryside with some of his friends. So you know, I mean, people have people have been really, really generous with their time and. I suppose probably the hardest thing I found is trying to trying to because I liked all these people I spoke to. It's quite hard to then try and be critical of some of the things they've done, which at times they've deserved. If you see what I mean, you know, you don't necessarily agree with all of the actions that they've made. But I always find I find that hard. I'm not I'm not particularly hard nosed journalist. I'm afraid I'm still just a humble blogger. I know you've got a, a chapter on Ireland. Um, it, it's a few years now since they, you know, they came out and said they they want to be a test nation. Is that something that you see happening in the short, medium or long term to Ireland um, or any country? Well, with the ICC, you've, you've learned not to sort of trust anything that they, they say, because I think what's most frustrating about the ICC is that, you know, fair enough, if they say we want to maximise money, want to maximise revenue, that's not the ideal starting point. At least you can understand that. But what's so frustrating is they don't even take that through properly. So, 
you're trying to maximise money in the in the medium term, let alone the long term, you want more countries playing cricket to expand the game. But their approach is very much uber, uber short term. It's about the figureheads of the various boards, especially our, uh, India, Australia, and kind of earning the, the most possible to sort of secure their re-election for the, their re-elections, as opposed to kind of thinking how can we actually all be richest as rich as possible in 15 years time so kind of following on from that with on they haven't they've really taken a pretty appalling approach they've on only had 11 odis against test teams between the world cup in 2011 and the world cup was about to to kick off um and they've really been you know in terms of off the pitch as well they've made great strides but this hasn't really been there's a real sense that they've kind of reached a glass ceiling i guess the glimmer of hope is a talk of it that well the, well, the, the mooted the, the test challenge in 2018, 2019, when the winners of the next Intercontinental Cup will pay off against the bottom-ranked full member. But there's, there's so many questions about this, whether those games will be test matches. The bottom-ranked full member, if they, if they lost, would not lose their test status. There's questions about, you know, if, if they won, would they actually, who would actually play them? So you might have a situation where Ireland do get test status, but they don't even get it on the same level that Zimbabwe or Bangladesh have it now. So it's very much, very kind of tokenistic. They maybe get two or three tests a calendar year. I can see that as happening, but in terms of them having, I suppose, a decent schedule, so that's what seven, eight, nine tests, tests a year. I think that would need a fundamental re, re kind of thinking and a more, more ambitious approach, really, from the ICC. It's easy to criticize. This is something me and Tim have talked about a lot, and I think we agree that it's quite easy to criticize the ICC because the ICC is quite powerless. But actually, when you speak to the ICC development guys, they're as frustrated as we are with the way that the games run and would rather have more powers. You know, because the, the, the Wolf report that was commissioned by them talks about, you know, kind of a, a bringing meritocracy into the game. And even the original big three proposals that they first put out talked about relegation and promotion as far as test nations are concerned and two division test cricket. Although hilariously, they did say that neither England, Australia or India could be relegated. That's interesting in our book, uh, Gideon Haig in the introduction talks about how the, you know, the test challenge and all the rest of it and whether or not that prize will actually still exist by the time it takes place. But also the fact that everything's weighted in the favour of those two bottom test playing nations that, you know, chances are Zimbabwe will be playing the game at home, etc., etc. It would be really, really difficult without a fundamental shift in actually introducing some meritocracy to cricket to have teams having anything more than just a tokenistic test at any point in the medium term. In the long term, you never know, maybe, maybe some... People that aren't short-sighted money men will take over running our sport. One day. I mean, in, in terms of your stance and your kind of your position in writing this book, I mean, do you feel like you're kind of trying to champion associate cricket? Do you want to see these guys, you know, on the on the same playing field, or or is it just a kind of curiosity? No, not. I mean, really good. it is really good. Sorry, sorry, go on, Tim. We both agree it's a really good question. Um, I think me and Pete, one of the things we want to do, although we are like real fans of associate cricket, we did not want this to sort of be a a manifesto of the ICC are terrible people, blah, blah, blah. We want to actually to bring out the stories and stuff. And in a sense, our aim is to sort of bring out the stories and explain what's, what's going on and kind of in an unsentimental way, because the stories do speak for themselves without sort of get, without preaching at people about how cricket's unfair and how, how it should be. So actually the ambition of this book was maybe to, to alert people more to what's going on in these countries and how rich cricket is beyond the test world, but it's not a manifesto for cricket and how it should be run. I mean, um, I'm happy to write that piece if everyone ever wants it. But um, I think, I think, I think we did, we didn't want it to be preachy. We wanted it to be something that you you could just pick up and would find interesting and learn about these incredible stories. We didn't really want to get bogged down too much in the sort of minutiae of the depressing structures, and they are depressing the, the way cricket's run. But we didn't want to dwell on that too much because actually, 
we thought it's about time these these brilliant stories just get some airtime themselves and actually I mean the, the sense that I get you know from things is that you know cricket's pretty poorly run from top to bottom in with pockets of of you know good administration along the way yeah I think that's fair I think the difficulty is that the problem you've got as we've seen in the the Indian Supreme Court today that you've got so much conflict of interest and self-interest that's kicking around in cricket that it's quite difficult for decisions that are made based on the good of the sport to actually be made. Um, and there's been so much stuff written about that and so much stuff talked about that that we didn't want to spend loads of time just kind of either A, turning off people that might otherwise be interested in the story, or B, preaching to the choir. You know, cricket could be better run. There are pockets. I mean, uh, Warren Dutram, the Chief Executive of Cricket Island is a really, really impressive guy. David East has got some really, really good ideas in the Emirati Cricket Board. With the ICC, I always feel kicking the ICC is a little bit like blaming the schoolyard victim of a bully for being, getting his head kicked in. They, you know, they, there's nothing they can do because they are at the behest of the ten full members and the three most powerful ones of those. Pete, you, you said you wrote the chapter about uh, the USA. It's something we've talked a little bit about on this show in the past. Um, you know, the idea of cricket kind of cracking America like Robbie Williams failed to do. Uh, you know, <laughs> is that something that you see happening at any point? You know, people often talk about 2020 as being a better vehicle for doing that than anything in the past. Is it likely at any stage? Well, I mean, I kind of agree that T20 can be used as a gateway drug into cricket. Yes. The, pro the thing you've got to remember with uh, cricket in America, the first ever international game of cricket was played between America and Canada back in 1860-something. Cricket's been in America for as long as it's been in Australia, as long as it's been in South Africa. When the uh, Imperial Cricket Conference was created, it probably would have made more sense for the USA to be uh, a member rather than South Africa because the standard of cricket was higher. The difficulty was that because it was based on the old empire, basically the USA weren't invited and didn't join the ICC until 60, 1965. The problem with cricket in America is that no one's ever really tried. Now, the problem you've got with America now is that the cricket in America is groups of expats that don't really want to invite anybody else into the side because if they do, they'll lose their place in the team. And there isn't really any ambition for it to spread the way that the uh, United States of America Cricket Association, the USACA, as is at the moment, wants to do it is they want to parachute in international teams in the hope that people will turn up at Fort Lauderdale to watch Chris Gale. But that's only going to appeal to existing fans. You're not going to generate new fans because the way you do that is by building grassroots. America's biggest problem is that you have pockets of quite successful cricket. But because the country is so big, it's quite difficult for those people to come together I mean, in the in the short or medium term, no, cricket's not going to take place in America. In the long term, in 20, 30 years, if they get the grassroots right, then yeah, of course. Um, the problem you've got in, in uh, America is there's probably more cricket fans in America than there are anywhere else other than India. Um, I do a podcast and it's listened to in the UK most and then in America. Crick Info gets most of its hits from the India and the USA. The problem you've got is they're cricket fans in America. They're not fans of American cricket. Until you make that happen, then it's not going to grow as a national sport there. Yeah, you, so just, yeah, we, yeah, we could get into, the, yeah, as you say, the kind of manifestos and, and you know, predicting the future. But what are, what are some of the nicest stories and some of the, your kind of favourite stories that you came across and things you learned in putting this together? I guess the story of cricket in Afghanistan is it's pretty remarkable um, how they've really gone from refugee camps to the to reach the World Cup and being really up there as the best associate in the world. 
right now today. I think that's that's very heartening. I think also it's the way cricket sort of changes character there. So it started off as they were almost called like a Pakistan A side because these guys had huge teams in Pakistan, but now you've got actually players emerging who've who've basically lived their whole lives in Afghanistan. So you've got a sense of actually you haven't just got a, a few fantastic players, but you've got kind of a cricket culture emerging. And cricket really is like is remarkably popular in Afghanistan. So there's no reason why it shouldn't get a lot stronger there. I think that's if you sort of compare Afghanistan and that's an interesting comparison that because Afghanistan's a bigger country and cricket's got a stronger culture there. So you think going you know twenty years time, I know there's the political situation notwithstanding, the, the team should be stronger. You would think in Afghanistan than not. So I think Afghanistan's been one of the most heartening. I think Scotland in a way is actually very heartening, um, and the reason that is because if you're kind of judging teams on on whether they can improve from their current basis, well, there's no reason why Scotland cannot be as good as Ireland and, and everything that goes with that. So Ireland, in a sense, is a more depressing story because the way cricket's run, for Ireland to get to their next level, which would be to be in New Zealand, say, in turn, well, New Zealand are very good now, but kind of a historic, you know, New Zealand historically who are consistently sort of seventh in the world but run very well. And that's what Ireland would like to be in their, their population and their weather and things and their economy all suggests that that's viable. But... The ICC do, do not want to know and you don't want to give them that chance, but Scotland are a bit lower down. So they, they really, you know, there's more cricket players in Scotland than Ireland already. So they should be able to get to Ireland's level. So that's, in a sense, the positive story because you think they'll be getting better. Um, and I think the Papua New Guinea story, which Gideon did, I mean, it's an incredibly positive story. Australia, I think, has actually done much more for cricket in Papua New Guinea, I would argue, than England has done for the team, for other Euro- European associates. There's, there's been some great, I mean, I, what I love most was the characters that you came across. So in Sahel's China chapter, there's uh, Aminul Islam, who's wandering around like uh, David Carradine in Kung Fu with cricket bats on his back in China, just walking into villages and trying to teach kids cricket. (laughs) Just amazing. And then, you know, I I spoke to a Danish cricketer when I was kind of doing the Dutch chapter. So it's kind of a a similar perspective. I spoke to uh, Oli Mortensen of Derbyshire fame, who's just the most interesting guy in the world because... He was just walking past the cricket game one day and decided that he'd, he'd quite like to play and joined in. Uh, you know, and then you've got guys like Nolan Clark, who uh, is a Barbados cricketer who went over to play cricket in Holland in the, you know, the 1970s and stayed and then ended up playing for Holland in the World Cup in 96 at the age of 45. And brilliantly was scoring hundreds and double hundreds in Dutch cricket at the age of about 54. There's just there's just some really really interesting people and interesting characters out there that have some great stories to tell. We just end up having bland press conferences where full member cricketers talking about executing their skill sets, um, <laughs> and I'm really bored of that. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the, obviously got the World Cup coming up. Uh, are you excited about that, or are you kind of more annoyed that you know there's only four of the associate teams in there, and you know in the future going to be less? I think I'm more annoyed that in um... 2019 and 2023 at the moment there's planned to be well there's only 10 teams and only two associates absolute maximum given the tournaments in Bangladesh the qualifying tournament it's basically rigged to ensure it's either going to be one of Zimbabwe under Afghanistan the last one so this just you know this could in theory be the last ever World Cup with associates so I'm comparatively looking forward to this having having four but the the, the, the format is horribly messy in terms of it's obviously designed to prevent a repeat of seven when Ireland and Bangladesh had run it for everyone by having the kind of audacity to, to upset uh, made those, those major teams, India and Pakistan, on the group stage. They're like, you know, so they designed a tournament to stop that happening again. Um, so I'm excited to see them and, and all of that, but I'm frustrated that the tournament really doesn't, I mean, even if there is a, there are upsets, the kind of 
a team will probably need to have, have two upsets to actually be able to, to advance to the quarterfinals. So it's, it's a very, I mean, to go from 14 teams to, to take, I think it takes five weeks to go from, 40, from um, 14 teams to eight. I mean, that, that's just a horribly unbalanced tournament. But nevertheless, of course, I'm excited to, to see. I, I think the odds are there'll be a couple of upsets, probably the kind of arms and bar with the very minor upset, but just because there are four member accounts and hopefully one sort of more, more exciting upset. Hopefully England can lose to Scotland or Afghanistan. Or even, but that, that would be yeah, absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it's not that unlikely, you have to say as well. <laughs> but my worry is that every time an associate does badly at a World Cup, they'll be there saying, well, you know, that's why they shouldn't be here. Whereas actually, there's quite often that full member sides will do terribly badly at World Cup against teams. You know, England got bowled out for 88 against Holland in the in the World T20, and there wasn't anybody saying that they should be disbanded and got rid of. Well, I don't but know. When, <laughs> I think there were a few, but yeah, I'd say well, your point. You know, and I'm more worried about that because that would just mean that I end up being on Twitter having mad rants, and you know, <laughs> no one wants that. And so, as, as writing this and putting this together, you know, looking at the, the countries you have and the, the nations, is it kind of where to your appetite in terms of like delving deeper into the World Cricket League? I mean, is there a third eleven on the way? I'd like to do it, but I, I mean, to be honest, we're lucky that a publisher decided to pick this up because it's quite niche. It's done really, really well, and we're really pleased with how the reception that we've got from people. But ultimately, it's going to come down to whether or not it's a commercial success as to whether or not it'll it'll do it. I don't imagine me and Tim are going to make a huge amount of money out of writing this, but we did it because we thought it would be a cool thing to do rather than the fact that we're going to make lots of money out of it. Um, I, I'd really like to do a third 11. We were kind of talking theoretically about a title and the teams that we do, and we'd like to do it, but... Again, it just comes back down to whether or not time-wise we can justify it because uh, I mentioned to my wife that we were talking about doing another book and she knows how much time I've spent <laughs> up until 3 o'clock in the morning writing it. And she was like, are you sure now? There was times when I'd quite like to have spent time with you and the kids and you were there sat in front of your laptop. So, to yeah, get, I mean, yeah, Trying to go out of some obscure kind of 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. and obviously if we were to do a third level, it would go... It would be even more obscure. I mean, so the most sort of high-profile teams were doing this book of... Ireland, Afghanistan, the most high profile, another would be what, Namibia, Hong Kong. And these are the, the most high profile. <laughs> but no, we're, we're open to the idea. I mean, it, it depends. It's certainly the reception has been very good, but we're too late to judge it from a sort of commercial point of view. Um, I think there is actually, yeah, I think that there's a lot of, of low hanging fruit in the story. I mean, we could even do a one on Jersey or and or Guernsey, which yeah, I'm, well, I'm sure you guys would. Uh, yeah, it's crazy down here. <laughs> You can find some obscure names like Tony Kerr and Adam Bayfield to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to profile. Well, you know, as well, you know, when we're there talking about the, the must-win matches in World Cricket League 6, that'll be, that'll be exciting for everybody. <laughs> um, but there's another thing. It's, I mean, it's a really interesting thing, I think, and it's worth drawing out. And a lot of sensible people who write about associate cricket always say is that um, associate cricketers have must-win games. The full member nations don't. There's absolutely yeah. nothing riding on England in any game that they win or lose. Basically, they're all friendlies. Their status and their 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 how well they'll do is from a financial point of view is pretty much secure. England could lose every game in this World Cup and it won't make any difference. The Netherlands had two bad days at the World Cup qualifier and they lost their ODI status and you know lost everything. You know, 250 grand a year from the ICC gone in two afternoons. And it's worth noting that there are must-win games in cricket. They just don't take place at the highest level. England could lose 10 Ashes tests in a row. Nothing would, nothing would happen. It wouldn't affect who they played at all because that's governed by other reasons. I think that's one of the most fr frustrating things. Whereas, uh, you know, if Ireland win 
all their games in the Minivan get to semis of the World Cup, say, then they're, they're still going to have a next summer, they're going to have two ODRs, one against, one against Australia and nothing else. It's just a little bit, 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 a little bit absurd, really. We're getting preachy now, Tim. <laughs> this is what we didn't write about then. <laughs> yeah, we should, yeah, we'll press we'll call we're it. Get, we'll we're call it, draw a line under it there. Write it. Do you want to tell our listeners where uh, where they can get hold of the book and all that kind of stuff? So it's on Amazon. It's called Second Eleven Cricket, and it's Outposts. It's also on uh, Apple iBooks. Um, you can get it in lots of different. If you Google Second Eleven or search Second Eleven Cricket, and it's Outpost where you buy your books, and hopefully you'll find it. It's going to be in bookshops soon. And also, if you're in London on the 5th of February at the Fentiman Arms at the Oval, between 7 and about 10-ish, we're going to be having a bit of a few drinks and a launch and stuff. And there's books there that you can buy and you can come and say hello to me and Tim and Sahil will be there and Tim Brooks, who wrote the full chapter, will be there. And hopefully some other interesting crickety folks who said they'll come along. Uh, Everyone's welcome. It'd be awesome to see you all. So come. If you want to fly over from Guernsey, guys, you're more than welcome. Yeah, maybe pop across. No, it's, it's been great. Yeah. It's been great talking. It's just, uh, yeah, looking forward to reading it. Sounds, uh, which yeah, it sounds uh, sounds like a, a great book, great project. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Much like January, this episode of the World Cricket Show has been so depressing that I think I'm going to cry. Uh, it really is time, Tone, to put it out of its misery. Oh, did you enjoy yourself tonight? I've had quite a good time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's been all right. Thanks for having me. Did you enjoy it more than I enjoyed Mario Kart last night? Yeah, considerably, I think. We've been recapturing our youth, playing a bit of the new Mario Kart. What do you mean recapturing? It never went away. Well, yeah, I mean, we've played every version since, since version one. No, I'm not just talking about Mario Kart. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, what, what are we doing? We're just doing a podcast. Yeah, true. Fiddling uh, about. Uh, yeah, the new, the new Mario Kart, the latest one. It's good. It's pretty much the same as it was. 20 years ago well, I mean, it's, it came out. it's you know it's better well, the graphic it looks slightly better. superior but yeah there's more you can do but uh, it's basically the same game yeah very entertaining but you're not very good at it <laughs> in comparison to some of the others that have played it like myself because <laughs> I'm quite a good pure racer I think as soon as I'm out in front you're not catching me unless you've got a blue shell yeah exactly yeah uh, I like to I get didn't... out of the melee early which you're kind of like you end up scrapping with you know the really crap computer characters at the back I don't understand Maricot. This is another way in which this week has been really depressing. We played some Maricot last night and I just lost pretty much every race. But yeah, it's just, I don't understand. It's, I mean, I know that this is how, how it works. But, you know, I, I'll be, I'm thinking I'm having a really good lap here. And then you see, like, baby Peach come roaring <laughs> past you on the outside. It's like, how did that happen? The, the, probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> is that finally in one race, I was winning. I led all the way around. And on the last lap, coming into the final corner, pretty much, my controller stopped working. The Wiimote just stopped working. I went straight <laughs> into the sand, freaked out. But I couldn't find the pause button quickly enough. And you were all going, oh, that's a shame. That is a shame as you came sailing. Just ran me. you down. That's a good game. Is it? I like it. Yeah, I'd give it 10 stars. Yeah, I'd say it's one of the better ones as well. The, the tracks are quite imaginative. It's just turning into a really kind of earnest <laughs> review. Uh, you know, I really like the narrative of the, you know, the, narr- the, the, the story arc is... The story arc rolling. lap one to lap three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It really uh, takes you on a journey. Got a good <laughs> progression. There's a real start and finish, which I like. You know, there's a, a good middle section as well. <laughs> lap two. <laughs> uh, anyway, it could go on all night. Anyway, like I say, that's about it for the World Cricket Show this week. Uh, but if you enjoy what we do here, uh, there's all manner of things you can do on the internet. In fact, 
We've got a lot of exciting things in the works, Tane, haven't we? 2015 is going to be our year. We're moving up in the world. And we didn't really get picked in any of the kind of, you know, tips for 2015, <laughs> you know. Sound of 2015. Yeah. I don't know if there's a podcast equivalent of that, but I, I doubt there is. But that could be something to do. You know, if we did it, we'd just put ourselves at the top. <laughs> the World Cricket Show about, actually. podcast of 2015 <laughs> poll sees yeah. the World Cricket Show come first. Uh, well, we had a little bit of a production meeting the other day. We were playing Mario Kart at the time. Uh, but, you know, we, we came up with all kinds of exciting ideas, majority of which we won't implement, but some of which we will. So watch this space. Uh, but in the meantime, there are a couple of things that we, uh, that we would suggest that you do. If you're doing your shopping on Amazon.co.uk, uh, go first of all to our website, which is cricketshow.net. And if you follow the link there, then anything you spend on Amazon we get a little bit of a kickback. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but you get to support your favourite podcast while you shop. It's true. Nappies, drones, digital cameras, anything really. Uh, Mario Kart, the second eleven, the book. Exactly, and we've actually got a book out tone, although you can't buy it on Amazon. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's out, it's available. Uh, the Guernsey Beach Guide, which might not be of enormous amount of interest to anyone, anyone listening to this, but if you're if you want to see uh, all about this place that we're always talking about, or you just want to support me and Tony, go to GuernseyBeachGuide.com and buy your book there. Uh, write a review for the show on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate all of those. You can like us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Cricket Show. Send us an email, WorldCricketShow at gmail.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter. The show account is at Cricket Show. I'm at Adam Bayford One Two, and Tony is at Tony Cover. T-O-N-Y-C-V double I you're all over the Twitters now Tony aren't you tweeting a little bit more not a huge amount about cricket I always pass as me yeah, it doesn't matter I try to it doesn't I'll be matter. tweeting we the World Cup something fierce if listeners want to know about cricket they can A follow at Cricket Show yeah. B listen to the World Cricket Show they follow you for you know tips about Newcastle betting and, yeah, which is good and Useful. you know they, they just want to know what's going on in your life, they want to get under the under the skin of Tony Kerr. They want to lift the lid on Tony Kerr. A lot of people do. I bet they do. <laughs> anyway, that's all for now. Stay in school, everybody, uh, and we'll see you all next time. Bye bye for now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.